Whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you are producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com, the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so excited to have my next guest here. We have Max Bowman, who is the founder and CEO of Basemakers. And I actually know Max from a little further back. He's been in the beverage industry for a while. He had been the founder and CEO and entrepreneur for an incredible brand called The Chill Group, which he launched at age 21, by the way. So just so, so proud of him on many, many levels. Such an, a great example of a serial entrepreneur. But today, he is the founder and CEO of Basemakers. And I wanted to have him on because he has gone from being a brand entrepreneur to actually launching a service company where he saw this need in the market that I think is just absolutely incredible and 
valuable to entrepreneurs for sure. So Basemakers is a retail sales and merchandising organization that has worked with over 250 of the top food and beverage companies to support them and help make them successful. So Max will definitely chat with us a little bit more about that. And also some of the other things that he's done along the way, including a company called Bear Power Foods that we'll uh, chat about too. So really excited to hear more about his entrepreneurial journey. So welcome, Max. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Kara. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very excited. So first of all, let's talk about Basemakers. So I'd love for you to share with our listeners who aren't familiar with Basemakers. What is it? So Basemakers is the company you call once you get onto a retailer shelf and you want to move more. So what we do is we go in, we do merchandising, so stocking shelves, making for sure there's availability, filling voids on shelf, um, to field sales, which is actually selling in those displays, going from the dry shelf to the coal box, all the activities that make your products move more. Very cool. So you weren't always in the service business. In fact, this was kind of your first foray officially into that business, especially outside of your own company. So how did you get this idea to actually go and launch Basemakers? Yeah, that was it was a crazy kind of moment of inspiration that came up. And I think the best way to say is is going back when I was running the chill group with the brand just chill. We we started selling first bootstrapping out of the back of a pickup truck, selling into taco shops. Finally, we got Whole Foods. We started expanding into more and more Whole Foods. Then we got a regional Whole Foods, second region, third region. Um, we'd raised some raised some money, so we started hiring a lot of area sales managers. And what we noticed is with the area sales managers, when they went into an account and when they were able to get a big end cap display, or when they moved us from the dry shelf to the coal box. It was the only thing that we looked at when we looked at that Whole Foods portal data that we saw a big lift and a sustained lift, even more so than in-store sampling. So we had this kind of aha moment. The one problem was we were burning tens of thousands of dollars per month. And we were looking at, wow, even though we just raised money, this isn't going to last forever, especially when you get into more and more states, then you have to have more and more people. And there's only a certain geography that one area sales manager could do. So then actually we um, attended a group called the Founders Forum that VEB from Coca-Cola put together. You were in it. You were one of the entrepreneurs in it. Yeah. And there were 14 other entrepreneurs. And I remember the first day the moderator wrote, what are the biggest challenges on the whiteboard? And we all put on post-it notes what the challenges were. And I looked up there and I saw the biggest thing around distribution and retail execution, where some people would walk into stores, they're supposed to have 10 SKUs on the shelf. They only see five. They walk into another store. You see this competitor with this big end cap and side stacks and they're distributed all over the store. You can't miss them. And then you're in, a, in the well and you can't find the product. So it was really around, wow, it's not just me having this issue. It's all these awesome entrepreneurs and a lot of brands that were bigger than us at that stage too. So at that point, I made the decision to start a side company that was designed to support just chill and other emerging brands that's called base makers so so needed so you know it's interesting as i'm listening to you talk about this i don't think any entrepreneur ever thinks about that aspect of uh, their business when they're making that big 
decision to create a company or a brand, but it's sort of like everyone's Vietnam, especially when you're just getting started and you're trying to figure out how do I actually get the merchandising and the skew mix out there that's supposed to be on the shelf and how do I pull stuff out of the back room? So I think that that is uh, so, so needed and so great that you decided to fill that hole. So what was kind of the first thing that you did then? Because again, you had never been in this business outside of doing your own brand. I mean, what was kind of the, the launch of that? How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including 
the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year? It's a great question. So we started with one person in LA and I'm a big believer in pilots, starting small, getting the lessons uh, before you scale out. And also, quite frankly, we, we did it without any investor dollars. So I, I had $4,000 I pulled out of my savings and we had one person in LA and we're like, let's just see if this works. So I called up all my friends in the industry, asked them if they needed the service. And at that time, it was $17 per stop. And a lot of them, surprisingly, they came back and they're like, yeah, we'll give you a shot, Max. And that able to, that able to give us the cash flow that we needed besides the $4,000 to get a full-time person. And that led to two full-time people. And then all of a sudden, we finished the first year and I look at the PNL and we're profitable. And I was like, wow, I wasn't used to that running a beverage company and just like always seeing red and like, okay, when's the break even point. So from that point on, we just grew every single year. We hadn't had one year that we were in the red and uh, we had one really tough year in 2020. But um, yeah, it was something that I just learned as I went. And, And the biggest thing that helped me was obviously being on that side, knowing what I wanted because I was speaking to my target consumer which were brand owners or, or people who are VP of sales at those companies and just listening and, and really beta testing the product with the actual brand owners. And that helped a lot. What's kind of the focus then in terms of types of stores that you're going into? Are you going into the Whole Foods and conventional grocery store? What about C stores? What's sort of the focus at this point? So our main focus is large format grocery stores. And we basically touch almost all of them. We work in 20 different states. We just don't touch Walmart at the current moment, but Whole Foods, you look at Kroger, you look at Albertsons, even the small small ones like Air One, Bristol Farms. We touch about 40 different chain banners. And out of those 40 banners, about 5,000 doors. And, and we touch them at least twice per each month, sometimes four times per month. And we just work uh, with each brand owner. And we have about 
five different full-time brand partner managers that really uh, try and deliver on that customer service aspect and work with them. And then they help them navigate the big field team that's out there. So outside of uh, profitability that you mentioned from almost from the get-go, what, what's kind of the key difference that you see in running a company like this uh, versus launching your own brand? You always hear, and I wouldn't say that on a service-based company, people are more important, but um, it's literally people are your product, right? So you have to hire phenomenal people. And there's a big lesson that I learned really quickly that you can have an all-star contributor who's phenomenal at getting the job done, shows up on time, really pursues excellence, is a great communicator across the team, but then you can put them in a manager role. And they tend to have this almost kind of militant, authoritative, like if you're not at this level, and that generally doesn't work as well as someone that enrolls people, asks more questions, really builds the trust. And and that was one big difference that I saw immediately was you have to, to have a very, very, very uh, quick attention to detail with each person and look at who you're going to get in these different roles. And for us, bootstrapping, we didn't hire executives from the get-go. We, we've since, we brought in a COO who was very well established as we got bigger. But that was one one big challenge is finding the right people that, you know, going from that individual contributor to that management level. Super great insight. So when you were Starting out in in this industry, we mentioned this before, but just chill was at age uh, you were only twenty one years old. You decided to start your first beverage company. So, talk to me about that. How did that idea come about? So, originally, I wanted to be a pro surfer. I didn't think I was going to be in the beverage industry or even business world. I was so bullish about living the life where I could travel to different countries and surf, and I. I did read a lot of books, but all my books were focused on high performance psychology, which we can get into later because there was a lot of insights and parallels that I drew between the two. But uh, on my way to Australia, to a surf trip to Australia, I noticed something. I'm going through this airport and there's mile long security lines. There's the LAPD right when I'm walking through the doors, honking horns, writing tickets. There's nervous first time travelers and you get past the security screening. And then you look at there's people sleeping on floors and then people, you know, drinking a lot of alcohol. And it could be like 7 a.m. on a work day. And you're like, this is pretty chaotic. So I thought in this world where energy drinks were absolutely exploding, that there could be a yin to that yang, a better for you product that could reduce stress without drowsiness. And that was the whole concept. Meditation in, in a can really is something that could give you that big deep breath, sigh of relief with nootropics, um, can re- reduce stress and and help you achieve your goals. And so how long were you running that company before you ultimately sold it? So started it in 2009 and the product actually came out in 2010. We got our first truckload and we sold it in 2018. So about eight years. What do you think was kind of the hardest lesson you learned in in, uh, getting it off the ground? You had an idea for a product that would be the yang, I guess, in the the energy drinks. But what was kind of the biggest aha moment from all of those years of launching a brand that you 
want to share? I would say there's two things that really stood out. I mean, one just kind of, I would say this is kind of a pretext to those two things, but it's going to cost twice as much as you think, and it's going to take twice as long as you think. Totally. And I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that get into the industry and they're like, oh yeah, we raised this and then that, and then this is going to happen. And people are going to, when it gets on the shelf, people are going to be gravitating towards it. And the first lesson that I would call out, which kind of parallels into what we're doing now is getting on the shelf is one thing, getting it to move off the shelf is a whole different bag of worms. And that's the difficult one to really do is making for sure when you're on the shelf, you're building sales velocity. Uh, so that was the big insight and and figuring out the strategy to do that. And all business really at the end of the day is about resource versus impact, mm-hmm. you know, with what you put in from your time, energy and finance side with the, with the people in place, what are you getting out? And obviously the traditional financial scoreboard, your revenue, your growth rate, your profitability, your gross margin. So you're kind of looking at those things from resource versus impact of how do you hit that And um, there's a whole strategy that we've really put together on the blueprint side for getting off shelf once you get on. The second thing is that people are everything. People are everything. And I think we made a couple hires on on both companies that weren't the right hires. And it caused so much more disruption to the organization and to the culture. And if I could go back in time, I would take longer and make for sure that they're hit all the different rights, not only just look great on paper in terms of a, a good experience level, but great in terms of writing, asking the right questions and finding the right functional skill sets and also the right cultural questions and that they fit in with our values. Because that's that's definitely been a, a big key thing. And I wish I would have hired you know excellent people to help with different departments quicker. I totally agree. And I think like they just have to really believe in your product too, because it doesn't matter how much experience they have, but if they are sort of here for the wrong reasons and maybe they've got great experience and all the uh, things on paper that you, you want to believe that they're going to be terrific, but if they don't ultimately believe in what you're doing or sort of jive with the culture, I think it can really uh, kill a business for sure. So uh, such such great tips. So you talked about velocity and and pull off of the shelf, and you also touched on the investor side of the business. So raising money. So what would you say is kind of the key thing that you learned in raising money, whether with this business or you also launched another business called Bear Power Foods too? I'd love to sort of hear what you would have to say about. The investing side of this equation, I guess, is the key way to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with Bear, we raised just under a million. We were venture backed. And with that company, a big thing that uh, I learned is, is almost to look at raising money like sales, have a CRM, uh, understand going deep with the investors that it's not going to just happen on your first meeting. And a, and a great saying that a mentor taught me is investors invest in lines, not dots. So the first time you meet them, you're a dot. Mm-hmm. You haven't quite built the trust. You know, might you might have some hype around you. Maybe you get lucky once in a while. And after the first meeting, there's the due diligence and then they're they're in. But ultimately, it if once you meet them and you start to ask questions and really learn how they tick, and if it's a VC, what's their thesis? 
you know, what kind of multiple do they want to get on a return? What's their revenue minimum? What have been great examples of entrepreneurs that have pitched them? Why don't you go ahead and find those portfolios, shoot one of messages, a DM and get on the phone and ask them about their process and really prepare. I think the people that prepare diligently, almost like an athlete about to go on the field for a big game for an investor meeting are the ones that went out. That mixed with the grit and resilience to keep going and face no after no after no with the same level of focus and motivation. So that that's a big one is, is approach it like sales with the CRM. Investors invest in, in lines, not dots. So each time you meet them, another dot connects and you start building out this line. And when you say, let's say you meet someone for the first time and you say, you know, in the next three months, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And you do that, that builds a, a tremendous amount of trust and credibility. And we've seen that work and, and people go on. And the last part with investors or a piece of tip there would be FOMO is a real thing. Mm -hmm. People, investors don't like to miss out on hot up and coming brands. So a big, big way that I've seen it to work out is looking at social networks for investors. So investors that are currently enrolled, who are their friends, second degree friends, and that would be a big opportunity, first degree for them, second degree for me. And then the big thing would be finding those people, doing the research on them, and then asking your current investor to make an introduction to two to three other people and preparing for those meetings and, and going with them, that mentality. And a big thing with FOMO too is press. If you can generate some press for the brand with having that warm connection from a current investor, then that can help build you know, a sense of, oh, this is a hot brand. We're going on like a, a good ride here. We'd love you to come along. So when you've raised money, did you do it before you actually had sales? I mean, it sounds like it was really, really early that you raised the capital. Yeah, we were able to do it pre-sales, which hmm. which is really rare. And one thing that helped us in terms of credibility and FOMOs, we actually won the BevNet Showdown, which is the nation's leading pitch competition from like an industry media standpoint. And that was a, a big opportunity for us. Because once we won that, we started having a lot, a lot of investors call us. So then rather than like pushing and trying to find and hitting up and people like, who are this, who is this brand? Who is Max? They were able to then look at, wow, they just won this big pitch competition. And now it was like almost a, the opposite side of the magnet where they were getting pulled authentically and naturally towards the brand. So, so that helped a lot. And then getting the right couple of investors that came on, some great business leaders that helped a lot. And yeah, ultimately it's, we, we closed, I think the round was about 715,000 and it was our, our pre-seed. And, and that helped us have the money to then go into an Indiegogo. And with Indiegogo, we actually had the biggest first day in history Wow! Um, at that point for food and beverage. And then uh, subsequently, I think we we raised about two hundred fifteen thousand, to my knowledge, on that that platform, which is a top five for for the platform for food and beverage. That's incredible. So you and I were talking right before we went live about the you know obviously you launched the chill group and that sold very very exciting and then you've got an incredible company now. You also had launched the Bear Power Foods and ran into some challenges with it. I'd love to hear kind of, you know, lessons learned from your perspective too on, you know, what what sort of 
happened and what can happen, I, I guess, is, is another big lesson along the way for entrepreneurs. Yeah, great question. So we were with Bear Power Foods, we were doing a really novel concept. And what it was, was prepackaged powder in a bottle. So consumers could fill it with their favorite liquid, almond milk, water, shake, and then they would have their uh, ready to drink ketogenic meal shake on the go. So a big thing that we really believed in was making for sure that we looked at the whole market and that we had the world's most powerful meal shake. That was our whole goal was to help inspire and give everyone the nutritional benefits of the world's most powerful meal. So, so we knew what we wanted to do, but the big thing that I doubled down on and my skill sets, my strengths are really in sales and marketing. And I was really a one man show. You know, I had a co-founder at that time, but the co-founder was also involved in different ventures. And I felt like I ended up being, you know, doing a lot of the work and I, I really needed a ops person. So going back in time, if I would have had a person who had an incredible amount of ops experience, I feel like it wouldn't have run into the issues. So what, what ended up happening is we came off that uh, Indiegogo, we had 1700 pre-orders right out of the gate. And we had, so we had this built-in consumer base, this awesome opportunity, but with Indiegogo, you were actually selling a product before it exists, which is you know, a blessing and can be a curse. And in our case, it ended up being a curse. So then we had, you know, 1700 people hitting up, you know, when's the product getting delivered? When's the product getting delivered? While we were going through this really rigorous uh, co-packing vetting opportunity and, and doing all these different things to move from this prototype to a finished product, we ended up picking a company and then we were all in. Their minimums were really high. So I think we we spent about a quarter million plus on, on just all the ingredients for the couple SKUs there. By the time we got the SKUs, we sent it out. We heard kind of a mixed bag. It tasted amazing. People loved the benefits, but for some people, it created a stomach ache. And this stomach ache was more like three to four out of 10 people, right? So when you have a product with you know 30 to 40% of the people that have it have a stomach ache, you can't run with that. You have to go back to the drawing board and so we ended up throwing out hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of product and um, you know, doing our best to email everyone. The people that did like it, they were, you know, we kind of set, kept a, a little bit of product for them to a certain point. And then we, we cut it off because not everyone, but it was the MCT. We put too much MCT in it, MCT oil and the artichoke inulin. So those two ingredients. Now, whenever I hear it, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> it's just like, has that, that nerve. So we reformulated by the time we got the product back. It was March 2020, and it was time to fundraise. And uh, at that same exact time in March 2020, we had co- when COVID hit, we had half of our team that were too scared to hit the field, and rightfully so. Right, we were going through this big pandemic together. So I thought that was a big leadership moment for me, of saying, "Okay, I have these two companies I'm running. One of the companies I have." you know, close to 60 full-time people at the time. And they all needed me. Everyone needed leadership full-time. And then I have this other opportunity where I raise money for, and I have a cap table with investors and I have to deliver for them. So at that, that moment in time was, you know, where am I going to go and focus my time? And how am I going to do this? So I waited on bear for a little bit and I had a program with base makers where I said, okay, over the next 60 days uh, until June 1st, I will pay personal checks for everyone. 
but you'll be able to collect unemployment because it won't be through the company. It'll be through me as gifting. Uh, I will cover everyone's health care and let us know if you want to come back by the first total year option, no hard feelings. And we ended up having 90% of the people come back. So that was great. But in the meantime, half the team was still working. Um, I mean, there were some days in there where I was, and I didn't raise money. I was losing $70,000 a month. Yeah. And uh, so it was a crazy time during that time to figure out what to do and, and how to do it well. And then I ended up getting further into the pandemic and, you know, trying to shoot out some emails and everything. And then at, at a certain point I said, you know what, I got to ice this, ice this brand, call up all the investors personally, tell them what, what was going on. And then, you know, do my best to return what I could, with what was left of the company's bank account. So that was, you know, the first big failure uh, that I went through and, and uh, I learned a lot through it, but you know, one of the things that, that I would look at now going back and if I were to start another brand, it's look across what are the the major functions and make for sure each box is checked, Mm -hmm. not just externally, but internally. And the operations box was the one that got away because of the quality control you know, and, um, we could have taken a little bit longer too to do focus groups and make for sure that everyone was, had a good experience. There were no stomach aches. At the same time, we had 1700 people, you know, that were emailing us daily. So we had the sense of urgency to get the product out. And that was ultimately what led to the, uh, the products and brand, uh, becoming iced discontinued. So interesting. I mean, also I think, you know, trying to innovate, at the beginning of a pandemic. I mean, obviously you didn't have that experience of sort of living through a pandemic. None of us did, right? But I think clearly the timing of everything was just super, super wonky, uh, critical in many, many ways. You know, I'm sorry to hear about that for sure, but I, I can see that you learned quite a bit just from that experience as well. And I think the other thing that I'm hearing from you as well is that you get to a point where you know you own it right you're not trying to make something work that is just not going to work and especially with all of the stars not aligning on this and uh you've got other priorities i think it it was just best just to sort of do what you did so it's definitely a uh big lesson learned, I'm sure, and and one that you'll never forget, but also one that I'm sure you learned a ton from as well. So definitely super good, great story. So you talked about leadership. And uh, obviously, I think this is one in particular, making sure that you have people in the various roles in your company that are able to kind of manage certain aspects of it for sure. But what are some of the other things that you've learned just in running different companies. You touched on it with Basemakers, how it's even more so about people. Um, you know, what are some of the key things that you've learned being a leader? So being a leader, the big things that I've learned are always communicate more than you think you need to, because everyone has so much going on that it's easy with the whirlwind of the day-to-day for you to think you have a message out that's not fully out. So communicates a big key thing. The second one is really everyone is there for a reason. Everyone's on your team for a reason. And I think it's the leader's job to communicate the vision of where the future lies for the company so that everyone's really crystal clear of what you are marching towards. Because the big goal is to build that why and that 
crystal clear opportunity that everyone, I, I really believe that everyone wants to contribute to something and they want to contribute to something big. That's exciting. That's a little scary. And when you, when you create a very crystal clear vision for the organization, then it's easier for people to get on board and, and communicate that to other people that they're working with and be more and more passionate and excited about what they're doing and, and also have a, an ultimate purpose of who you're helping with the organization that's authentic to the organization. Um, another one would be in leadership, learning how to delegate, because I think earlier on, there's you know an opportunity where I took on too much and you know you have to learn how to let go of the vine. And that was, you know, the opportunity where we recently brought in a, a COO, Faith, who came from, she was the global talent development director at Diageo and ultimately the chief people officer at, at PAPS before she joined us. And she helped bring in so many fantastic systems and ways to think about things. And, and that helped the, the company become more organized and knowing where your strengths and weaknesses are and what partners to bring on to, to help scale the business at different sizes, that's really important as well. And I think there's a tendency a lot with, with certain types of founders as well, where you want to, you know, kind of have, have your feeling and a pulse on everything. And at a certain point, you need to let go of some of your direct reports and bring in someone who has certain skill sets that you don't and double down on the ones that you do. So not trying to be the jack of all trades, but what what can you truly be a master in that you enjoy that the company needs and bring in someone that has the skill sets that are higher than yours in the areas that the company also needs, but you not, might not be the best in. And in my case, organization was a key uh, fundamental need for us to scale and build to the next level. So bringing in a COO really helped with that. Super great advice. And I think it's one that people get blindsided by, frankly, as they start to grow their organization thinking that they can do everything. So I think that's really great advice. What have you enjoyed most? This is your last question. Uh, what have you enjoyed most about being a founder entrepreneur? I believe I'm somewhat unemploy unemployable. <laughs> like I, I mean, coming from being a surfer to uh, you know having that freedom of going out in the ocean and, and, and being able to play and all that. But I've always kind of gotten in trouble when I, a lot when I was younger in terms of, um, you know, going against authority. And I was always kind of a little bit of a renegade, a little irreverent. And I think for me, being an entrepreneur, I had the opportunity to create my own path and carve my own path and, you know, live and die by it, you know, and, and that was one of the big things of knowing you know, who I am deep down and, and what, how I can create a living doing, doing that. So being an entrepreneur was a big opportunity for me. And uh, I think just knowing exactly within entrepreneurship that no matter what happens, you have that extreme ownership. And I think sometimes joining an organization for some people, it's great, uh, but you're working across this team. And, you know, ultimately in, in my case, I can hire, fire, put the right people in different places. So I'm still responsible for their work. And, and in other organizations, you don't have that opportunity. So you might have a boss that is a big hindrance to not communicating what his boss, may, his or her boss may, may be doing. So I think that's, that was one big thing for me is just knowing that my strengths and weaknesses and, and going for it in that way. Well, you're an incredible creator and definitely have shown your leadership 
being able to do multiple things. So I, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit because you've done an, a really, really great job. You're beyond, um, I think you are employable for sure. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's great to kind of hear everything that you've accomplished and everything that you've been doing. And and um, I, I think that for entrepreneurs to hear that you have uh, created things, some things have worked out, some things haven't worked out. Uh, and then you've also made the switch across industries from being a creator of brands and a scaler of brands to uh, helping other people and supporting other people scale their brands is really, really incredible. So thank you so much, Max. We'll have everything in the show notes about your company and everything that we talked about and how to get in touch with your companies and you and all of that. Thanks all for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And I want to thank all of our guests and our sponsors. And finally, our listeners, keep the great comments coming in. And one final plug, if you have not read or listened to my book, Undaunted, please do so. You will hear all about my journey, including founding, scaling, and building the company that I founded, Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.